Welcome to the latest edition of New Project Media's Interconnections Podcast. I'm Colt Shaw, MPM's East Coast reporter. Joining me today to discuss the future of energy storage in New York as the state considers its ambitious 6-gigawatt roadmap plan is founder of Rhineland Energy, Patrick Berdonk, and John Carbajal, Director of Product Development at Nine Dot Energy. All right, John and Patrick, thank you uh, for joining us. And um, yeah, we can kind of just jump right into uh, the most, I guess, recent news. Uh, New York uh, recently passed the uh, Build Public Renewables Act uh, as part of its 2024 budget, uh, which enables the New York Power Authority to build energy storage projects. Um, It also calls for the removal of simple cycle uh, natural gas power plants or peakers uh, in NYPA's jurisdiction by 2030. Um, I'm not sure who wants to take this, but uh, just in general, I'm wondering if this is uh, feasible. And I'm wondering if it's either of your understanding that this is likely to be done on kind of a parallel track to the ongoing uh, battery storage roadmap uh, approval process, or if it's contingent on that. Um, But yeah, whoever wants to take that can kind of jump right in. Sure, this is Patrick. I'm, I'm happy to take the question, Colton. Thank you so much for having us um, on the program here. You know, certainly anybody who's active in storage in the country, but especially New York, will applaud any efforts to build incremental mm-hmm. storage in the state. You know, the state has some very ambitious goals, the six gigawatts uh, with the interim goal of 1.5. Now, I don't think I'm saying anything um, that anybody doesn't know, but we're pretty far away from those numbers on the ground, at least. There's a lot of folks with projects in the queue. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's always good to have some additional folks pulling um, at the levers as well to try and accelerate the deployment of storage. And I'd say more broadly, um, NIPA has been a, a pretty good partner to renewables in general. You know, they've contracted with some projects in the past as well and been pretty supportive to ways of getting capacity into New York City through the Hudson Line and some other ways of uh, promoting renewable power in the state. So by and large, you know, supportive of NIPA playing a role in this process here and looking forward to their contributions to, to storage in the state. Great. Mm-hmm. And uh, John, did you want to touch on that as well? Yeah, yeah, no, that, that that's a great uh, answer, Patrick. You know, I kind of agree with that. And just kind of you know, adding, you know, from a, a retail storage perspective, you know, as, as a developer, kind of meeting that the end customer needs and building the community. You know, I, I think, yeah, the, the, the Build Public Renewables Act is quite complementary to the roadmap, but not necessarily, uh, you know, replacement or um, it, it's not predicated on that. So I think, you know, the, the current administration is just trying to do, you know, all of the above. And by, you know, this kind of uh, interesting, unprecedented and, and, and kind of innovative, um, you know, activation of NIPA to help, you know, with that energy transition, you know, that, that I think that will only, you know, help push us along as a state. Um, but, you know, again, I, you know, I don't think it's kind of, hinges on, on the roadmap. And, and, and so we should kind of keep our foot on both uh, as right. we move forward. Mm-hmm. Great. That's right. And Colt, sorry to interrupt, but I, I think you also asked another question about the, the ability to obviate the need for gas peakers in New York and, and that being part of NIPA's plan here. Look, it's an interesting question, right? No, no constrained um, load area has gone without peakers. Um, there's certainly a lot of attempts, whether it's the LA basin area where a number of the CCAs and the LADWP and SCE are trying to accomplish that. New York is obviously trying to accomplish that in the southern mm-hmm. part of the states, basically IJ through K on Long Island. It's interesting, right? I think today, obviously, we can't do without these speakers, but batteries play a, uh, can play a huge role 
in accommodating that. You know, no, no energy system has relied on, on one source of capacity alone. It's always going to be a multitude, whether, you know, we, we, we have batteries replace all the peakers, whether a few peakers remain, whether those peakers get converted. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, demand response and some of the work that, that John is doing with Nine Dot at the retail level play a huge role as well. So, look, is it feasible? I'm sure in the long term we will do without peakers. I don't think it's a question of, of, uh, of whether it will happen. I think it will happen. It's just a question of how we get there and how long it takes. And that's, that's interesting, right, to see how that mix is going to evolve in the next 5, 10, 15 years. Great. Well, mm-hmm. kind of turning to the uh, current moment, the ongoing approval process for the six gigawatt uh, roadmap, uh, battery storage roadmap. Um, I I guess from my view, kind of the biggest overall uh, proposed change is kind of that index uh, storage credit mechanism uh, proposed in the plan. Um, at least for someone like me who's not in on the technical stuff, it can seem kind of, uh, you know, uh, very complex. But uh, Patrick, I was wondering if you could kind of just give an overview of generally how that would work. Um, and yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. No, the, the, the roadmap that was published actually does a very good job of outlining the different structures that you could use mm-hmm. to incentivize storage. And, and I would encourage anybody to have a look at it because it's very topical between New York and some of the other jurisdictions and how you incentivize storage. Look, I, I, I like the way they came to the conclusion in that report that the index structure could be one that has the fewest number of distortions and at the same time provides the right amount of revenue certainty for the developers. You know, the index rec program works well on the renewable side, and it's nice to see them implemented on the on the storage side as well. Look, anything short of a PPA, which is, of course, what everybody would want as a developer, I think this is a pretty good structure. And for the listener's benefit, essentially what you're doing here is you're contracting for the capacity effectively on a contract for differences basis, which is effectively, in this case, more or less as good as its whole. Um, and then on the energy side, there's sort of an imputed value of the energy based on the highest priced and lowest priced hours and a theoretical margin of what a battery should have made if it had bought and sold at the right times. And so that value is provided to the storage owner. It's incumbent on the owner of the projects to make you know, those revenues or potentially do better if they think they can make more money in the ancillary services or with a different bidding strategy. But what I do like about it is that it offers a, a good degree of revenue certainty, which is really what a lot of developers need, need to be able to raise the funding to build these projects. So I think it's an interesting construct. Now, the double will be in the detail, things like basis risk, availability risk, and others are going to have to be thought through very carefully. But by and large, I think it's a, it's definitely a structure that I think is much more accommodating of the needs of developers and the prior structure, which was really a capital cost buy now. Hmm. Well, jumping off of that, John, you've spoken kind of on the difference between uh, New York's merchant storage process versus uh, California and Texas. Uh, what's kind of the main difference there between those three? And do you think this you know, current roadmap uh, or proposed uh, process under mm-hmm. this roadmap kind of does anything to bridge that gap there? Yeah, thanks, Colt. Um, you know, I think it's you know, just worth noting you know, for the listeners that of New York's six gigawatt energy storage goal, um, a significant portion of that, you know, up to two gigawatts, and we hope more, can you know, be comprised of retail energy storage. So complementing that, uh, you know, the index storage credit, which is really giving a lot of large scale energy developers like, certainty when they're building 100, 200 megawatt scale uh, battery peaker plant alternatives. Um, we also, you know, have a really transaction-driven market here for community energy storage or behind-the-meter energy storage, or you know, even residential, where the 
the, when batteries are kind of located at or within, you know, electricity consumers, neighborhoods and buildings and properties, um, you know, there's like a, kind of a, a unique tariff structure for those projects um, known as the value of distributed energy resources or VEDER, which I think is a whole nother podcast and we talk about and really not what this current roadmap is addressing, but the, the former did, you know, the, the roadmap 1.0. Um, but kind of the result is for, um, you know, that, you know, the other one, two gigawatts of, uh, of what the state plans to build out. We really have like, a, you know, a transaction driven market where developers have certainty in terms of kind of what uh, a battery is going to earn if they're exporting during certain congested periods you know, of, of the grid system. Um, and so, yeah, kind of similar to what we did for the retail program with, by forming this VEDER tariff in that kind of 2015-2017 era, you know, I, I see this index storage credit also kind of help enabling a lot of those transmission scale projects. Um, and yeah, so that's just a little context in terms of kind of what we do have. Yeah, yeah. I, think I want to give some applause to, to the regulators and, and what NYSERDA did there. Um, but, but still, you know, I think that's, you know, not quite enough for the developer community. You know, there's still a high capex in, in inflation and kind of, um, you know, the supply chain crisis has really hit storage hard. Uh, and, and I think to really get down that that cost curve, you know, this roadmap is also just closing that missing money gap with, with um, these upfront uh, declining block uh, incentives. So, um, and that's just, has proven successful with the community solar world, the New York Sun world. You know that this these declining blocks have really um, put New York as a leader in community scale solar, uh, and progressively has kind of reduced the incentive that the state's given out. While you know the industry has kind of taken off on its own. So you know I think the retail storage world is sort of in that same uh, kind of gap where we're about to kind of almost run on its own, almost be entirely trans transaction driven and, and based on tariffs, but there's still a little bit of an incentive um, it, it kind of representing anywhere from you know, $100 to $150 per kilowatt hour. That's about, you know, uh, let's, you know, I'd say, you know, 15 to, uh, you know, 30% of the cost of a project is still being incentivized, but the rest is really being um, earned back on, on, you know, basically transactions. So that's kind of how the New York retail market's working. So it's a figure, you know, we're getting most of it over time by relieving peaks but then there's still a little bit of upfront incentive uh, just to kind of you know help give uh developer certainty in that initial deployment of capital um so that's kind of how new york's working i guess at a high level but your question was like uh, you know if i think if i'm calling new york transaction driven like how does that differ than um the other leading states in the u.s like texas and and california mm, and yeah. so you know i can't yeah so i can't speak to you know i'm not we're not expert in that you know nine dot has really kind of solved the uh, battery storage puzzle here in New York State, especially downstate, where there's you know so much urban complexity. But we do kind of keep abreast on on other markets, and you know, just as as an outsider, I'd say you know California's success in getting gigawatts of batteries on the ground has really just been kind of driven by these Kaiso driven um, mandates that utilities procure a certain amount. You know, so there are these requests for offers or RFPs where each utility just has to kind of uh, Procure a certain amount of peaker capacity, and um, and then the developers get that certainty because there's a, a tolling agreement there, like a power purchase agreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that's really effective at getting stuff done quickly. But you know, maybe there's maybe the uh, you know the downside to that is like it might kind of concentrate all the storage in one place, so you don't have as much kind of distributed community benefits. And 
you know, there's a lot of that cost is passed on to ratepayers. So, but you know, in theory, it should be recovered. So, I think that's kind of been, you know, th that's the way we see California's success. Um, yeah, and they're increasingly getting like more interesting tariffs, you know, on the uh, kind of commercial side of things. But most of that uh, that market's been driven by kind of transmission utility scale deployments. Um, and I think there's a similar story, you know, in terms of the type of projects going on in. Um, in Texas, but it's it's uh, but it's almost like the, the opposite in terms of like the earning mechanism. So in Texas, instead of you know ERCOT saying, "Hey, all these utility zones or have to have a certain amount of storage on the grid," you know, it's really just um, you know an energy driven market. There's not like a whole uh, supporting structure of ancillary services and you know, capacity markets that kind of give you know guarantees and uptime. It, it's more. Just you know, they're kind of focused on an energy market that has your hourly pricing, and there's been some huge swings, you know, with uh, nighttime negative pricing from a, a lot of penetration of wind, um, where like the wind turbines just want to keep turning because they're producing the production tax credits, and there's just other advantages to keep those you know, that those wind arrays running. So. So those developers are actually willing to sell energy at night. So mm -hmm. so batteries can take advantage of not just free or, or, or really cheap battery uh, energy pricing, but they can charge up when there's actually, uh, they're getting paid to do so. And then there's, uh, you know, several times a year when, um, you know, there's, uh, you know, a, a crunch on capacity or other generators are having a hard time or you have another, you know, winter event. Um, and then, the you know, the, the battery storage systems in Texas can really take advantage of, of those big swings. And so depending on what kind of, uh, you know, forecast, you know, Texas developers are using, you know, there's some very promising returns there, mainly from the energy markets, you know, so that's your uh, buy low, sell high. Uh, and, um, and then, you know, I think there's some other ancillary markets there, but they're not, not as big of a piece of the puzzle. And so that, that kind of uh, has, you know, developers see really big returns there, but there's no state incentive, you know, of any kind, no utility incentives. So, um, but uh, yeah, there, there's still been a big deployment there, and, and then there's just the cost of doing business. I think is, you know, given the land and uh, you know just ease of development from a permitting and construction point of view, and lack of density. I think you know they're, they're able to get co keep costs low, reduce soft costs, and just kind of find the land and, and areas to build. So I think that's you know um, some big differences. And I will say, you know, in New York State, you know, it's just uh, we you know we definitely have some regulatory differences. Um, you know, but, and it, our cost of land is different and where the loads are, you know, it's, we're quite congested and, and you know, th there's definitely, a, uh, there's some challenges that, uh, you know, California, Texas, um, also don't, don't face that New York state is trying to solve, but, gotcha. uh, mm -hmm. well, yeah, I guess looking back to the last uh, couple of years in, uh, New York, uh, the 2018 energy storage order from the public service commission, uh, mandated, uh, capacity, uh, for state utilities um, and, uh, you know, basically across the board have had uh, difficulty uh, securing that. Um, I'm wondering if one of you could kind of go into, uh, how, you know, how that old uh, solicitation model worked and, and sort of why they've had difficulty uh, securing uh, that mandated capacity and sort of, you know, if they're likely to have more success under this new, uh, I guess it wouldn't be through the utilities, mm -hmm. but um, if the state in general is, is likely to have a better uh, chance at securing uh, capacity under this new proposed model. Yeah, this is Patrick. I'd be happy to talk about that. Look, I, I think what was challenging about the last procurement round was the way in which the capacity was supported. 
So the utilities were relying on for the projects, the block grant, whether it's the bulk grant or the retail level. And really the bulk grant is where it was most applicable. Um, in addition to that, they offered a capital cost buy down effectively an upfront payment and then no payments to the project for a couple of years. Um, look, the reasons for, for creating that you know, kind of in the past, but I, I think it's fair to say is that that's a challenging structure for a developer. Um, really financing is out there. Um, the upfront payments can really be, or the, the, the capital needed to build these projects can be procured from equity and debt providers. What uh, developers really need is revenue certainty. So you had the, the context of, I think, capital or a, a contract structure that was suboptimal. And as I mentioned earlier, I think today, um, the state is really pushing towards a contract structure that is much more feasible. You know, I think in fairness as well, um, challenges with interconnecting projects, especially in the lower part of the state, whether it's in zone J as well as zone K, certainly you know, can contribute to some of the concerns there, um, especially in zone J with some massive upgrade costs being allocated to projects as, as is in the public domain. Um, and then, of course, you know, in the intervening time, we've had material increases in capital costs, which, of course, have been challenging. But that said, again, we're, I think we're moving towards a better contract structure. Um, capital costs, I think, are becoming a little bit more predictable, if not at the same level as before, at least some visibility into those costs returning to a more reasonable spot. Um, and we'll see, of course, what happens with the interconnection process. But I, I think it was a combination of factors uh, that led to sort of some challenges to those projects being awarded and actually, frankly, being built as well. Well, so I guess, uh, you know, they're still looking now to, uh, I guess, return to the market with RFPs to uh, secure this, you know, the the the, the difference uh, mm -hmm. of, of mandated capacity. Do you, is there any reason to think that they're, you know, these these rounds are going to fare any differently uh, yeah. from the last couple of times? Yes, this is John. Um, so the definitely, you know, Patrick, I think, uh, illustrate some of those challenges from the first uh, solicitations that the utilities ran. And, you know, New York was still kind of, uh, you know, learning learning how to deploy storage. And I think we're, you know, at a better state right now with interconnection policies and, and frankly, you know, earning mechanisms that kind of give revenue certainty, especially with the, the index credit that's uh, forthcoming, we think. But, you know, I would say this, um, Nine Dots kind of excited about this next round, you know, and you'll see that utilities just basically ask for more time. They were supposed to have this stuff built uh, in 2024, 2025. Now they're asking for uh, 2028 is the, is the timeline now. And I, I, kind of what we're observing a big difference is, you know, the utilities are kind of, Con Ed's latest solicitation is uh, asking for, you know, assets that are not just transmission connected, but also distribution connected as well. So instead of just kind of considering those NISO level values that come from your, your traditional capacity or energy uh, arbitrage markets, they're also considering the value added by embedded distribution assets that can give re you know, relief to congested um, community feeders. So, so kind of more at the medium voltage and you know, ultimately electricity consumer level. And, and so um, by kind of opening up the solicitation and having a, a, a benefit cost analysis that kind of considers not just NISO revenues, I think you know, we'll see more uh, success in this next solicitation round where they're basically, you know, uh, to to go big, they're actually going smaller, you know, mm. so instead of seeing a single 100, 200 megawatt uh, project be awarded, you know, we're, we're hopeful that we'll see 10, 20 megawatt projects each kind of, um, yeah, maybe you don't have the same economies of scale, but there's a bit of a benefit in terms of having that distributed asset, you know, finding smaller parcels, you know, that can you meet all of your requirements, but still having 
you know, sufficient scale for developers to get the con you know cost economies. But you know, I think that's you know what we're expecting from the nine dot side to kind of see in this next round. Um, and yeah, because you know the solutions for New York, especially the downstate area where land is expensive, hard to get, you know, zoning's difficult, safety's paramount, you know, fit, safety first, second, and third, you know, it, it gets really hard for that traditional independent power, power producer model to find, you know, it, many, many acres to locate a few hundred megawatts of, you know, really cost-effective storage, like that, that's not going to be typical, I think, in the downstate area. So I think this next round, they're kind of opening it up and, and by changing the tariffs and saying, hey, you know, 10 megawatt asset and below batteries can participate in some of these demand response programs. And you could also do community, you know, programs like, like, you know, variants of Beater or non-wire solutions. I, I think we'll kind of, um, nine dots hopeful that will, you know, make, help the utilities make progress in those, uh, those procurement uh, mandates that they were issued. So. Well, East River Storage uh, from 174 Power Global was the, I guess the the one huge project that came out of these previous uh, solicitations that's being developed, I think, in Astoria for Con Edison. Um, but it's currently over schedule. Was initially uh, expected to go online in this past December. Um, do you see that as anything related to sort of these uh, this sort of uh, unusual or I guess uh, hard to finance structure, or is this just related to all of these projects? You know, I guess uh, similar reasons for uh, you know projects across uh, sectors uh, going over schedule in the last year uh, with supply chain constraints and things like that. Um, I was wondering if either of you could speak mm -hmm. to that and sort of how you see that mm -hmm. uh, process kind of playing out now as these next solicitations are are rolling out. Sure. Look, I, I can't speak with any um, specific knowledge about this project. You know, I'll note that there's a number of projects across the country that have been delayed or have been a little slower to get um, running because of the costs that have been increased. Um, I'd say, look, so I'm certain that that played a role, um, especially if the contract price was awarded at a certain level and a certain expectation around capital costs and those prices subsequently went um, higher. I'm sure that that has an impact on the economics. Um, but then secondly, I, I'm sure that the financing structure again plays a role. It's a, it's a highly unconventional structure. Um, I don't think, you know, so I, I would, I could imagine that from an equity perspective, it's probably a little bit more challenging to underwrite that. And certainly from a debt perspective, right? How, how do you, how do you raise capital on a project that has a, you know, very low, perhaps even negative cash flows in the first couple of years, because mm -hmm. the incentive has been provided up front. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think that's uh, very well articulated, Patrick. And you know, I'll just add, you know, that was that was your project from 2019 procurement cycle, yeah, diff different world than with, you know, what we're expecting from uh, battery CapEx just falling in indefinitely before, you know, prices spiked, uh, maybe a little bit more optimistic on um, you know, some other incentives and, and future earning mechanisms. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, just to echo kind of what Patrick's saying, like for financing that, like having it, I think those were only seven year terms, right? So the, the, the developer has certainty for the first seven years, but they're building a 30, 40 year asset. And so, you know, I think there, there's a lot of challenges there. And, and we've kind of seen the, uh, you know, the, the DPS, Department of Public Service, kind of react appropriately here. And now with these next round of, solic uh, of procurements, like, yes, they do want re developers to consider future revenues, which I think we have a little more certainty given the index credit that's forthcoming, but they also are extending that that uh, 
the award term from seven years to 15 years. And so, you know, I think the market kind of reacted appropriately to, you know, help solve, solve some of those challenges around the 2019 procurement uh, and kind of, you know, issues that probably, you know, came out of that. Mm -hmm. So, um, gotcha. Well, uh, turning back to the uh, proposed roadmap for a moment, uh, the comment period, I guess, closed uh, a little over a month ago this spring. Um, I was wondering if there are any, uh, generally it seemed in comments uh, that uh, developers and utilities were were pretty welcoming of the uh, proposals. I was wondering if there's any uh, aspects that you saw that developers seem to have taken issue with or uh, pushed back on, or if, if generally it was a, a positive reaction. And that can go all the people have, yeah, either all the people I've spoken to have been largely supportive of it. Um, you're seeing, and I think maybe the ultimate list and a test is that you're seeing folks who are not active in the state uh, reaching out, trying to get more active in the state, saying, look, you know, what, what, what should we be doing here? What are the opportunities that we can be pursuing? So look, no policy is perfect, right? There's always trade-offs, there's always details, there's always a policy, whether intentional or not, that favors some people a little bit more than others. I think that's inevitable. But by and large, the reactions have been, been positive. I think people are still withholding perhaps final judgment to when the actual final details come out. But I'm, I'm really getting positive feedback from people who are both active in the state as well as from folks who are looking at the state. Yeah, just you know, from kind of maybe the more retail side, that perspective, you know, I kind of echo that sentiment that, that Patrick uh, raised where, you know, largely, surprisingly, there's not a lot of, uh, you know, pushback on what was proposed. I think maybe that's just given the simplicity with how, you know, the retail program is being conceived, you know, with more you know, of a CapEx buy down and that kind of declining block program. And, you know, I think, you know, the, the you know, minor issues with, um, you know, inclusion and, you know, environmental justice, um, you know, so kind of, I, I think people who are on board with having the, uh, um, you know, prevailing wage requirement, but just kind of harmonize that with new federal requirements and, um, you know, and, and yeah, and nine dots really just trying to make sure, you know, as, as we you know, go forward and there's more batteries being deployed, you know, at the transmission and, and distribution level that, you know, there's an opportunity to kind of include, you know, historically marginalized communities. And so I think some of those, those kind of designs on, you know, how do we, you know, make sure those consumers that, or usually energy burden can, can get the most benefit. You know, I think that's kind of where some of the pause and discussions are are, are being structured in terms of you know how those blocks are allocated, kind of what kind of um, you know mechanisms are there for you know monetizing these these credits and can those uh, can the ba retail battery storage kind of somehow flow through these kind of marginalized communities. So that's kind of you know where we're having a bit of a discussion on the retail side, but otherwise, you know, I think. Everyone's, you know, uh, supporting of this and and wants this kind of go through as quickly as possible, so we can get, get back to you know building these projects and, sure. and getting us to six gigawatts. Sure. Well, uh, I guess you know not to end on a more uh, I guess <laughs> doom and gloom kind of uh, note, but just looking to the south and PJM, uh, the you know RTO uh, as an entity, but also utilities in its footprint. Uh, have been warning of kind of load growth concerns on the horizon and some of the utilities shifting their plans to hold on to their base load generation a little bit longer than they initially expected to. Mm -hmm. uh, is there, you know, do those fears exist in, in NISO at the moment? And do you kind of see a similar situation potentially unfolding in New York? And, and yeah, I'd love to hear either of your thoughts on that. I am happy to go. Look, I, I think PJM you know, has a couple of key differences with, with uh, the New York guys. So the, the first one is, um, 
there's a, a lot of generation out there in PGM that is viable, that is in the money, and that provides a lot of the base mm-hmm. load services that a grid needs, whether it's a lot of the gas peak, sorry, the gas combined cycles that were built over the last few years, whether it's some of the nuclear powered stations that stayed on because of the zero emissions credits. There's a, a good amount of dispatchable and baseload capacity in the state. And then, of course, there's a, or in, the, in the RTO, rather, and a fair amount of peaking capacity. So the, the constraints are, are, are relatively um, modest, if any. There's a few parts of the, the RTO further to the east where you do see some constraints. So first of all, there's a lot more generation out there. The, the second thing is that it's a multi-state RTO, which just makes it a little harder to implement certain policy decisions at the state level. It's just much harder to have an impact within that RTO if you've got you know, a dozen or so states that you're working through. So New York is different, right? New York has the, the difference that it's a single state RTO. It's much easier to have Minnesota and the state put in place certain policies and steer the, the ship in a certain direction when it comes to developing storage and other renewables. Um, the other difference as well is that you know, New York has a lot of upstate capacity uh, in the form of hydro, in the form of nuclear, and, and a fair amount of gas-fired generation as well. It has, of course, the interesting structure that you have a lot of the load downstate, which is constrained geographically, but also electrically. And it really demands a different type of policy, right? If you basically have a state where you've got the the northern part of the state, Mm -hmm. which is long generation and light demand, and the southern part of the state, which has constraints uh, in terms of getting the power down, constraints in terms of building new capacity, um, you really have a a very different electrical and and economic situation. And Mm -hmm. so I think the work that NINDOT and others are doing in New York City is, is a great way to respond to that by having not just bulk storage, but also storage at the retail level. And and, and that sort of providing, you know, guidance and incentives around that retail storage are, are very valuable and make a lot of sense in that context. Yeah. yeah, I think that's perfect, Patrick. You know, I just want to kind of reiterate how like New York, different than PJM, you know, we're a tail of two grids, right? We have an upstate downstate and there's a lot of congestion getting that you know, abundant renewable power that's upstate from our Friends of Canada producing hydro and the the wind uh, up there uh, to downstate and, and so there's a few ways we're relieving that you know from a system level um, you know uh, I think a couple of years ago you know we're building this new uh, transmission line Nextera is doing that that goes from um, it, it, I think they call it the Energy Solution Project it's going from Rensselaer to Dutchess County so that like kind of help you know increase the capacity going downstate. Um, and then we're you know, offshore wind, you know, there's uh, th- this uh, South Brooklyn Marine Terminal, you know, we're expecting gigawatt plus of, of offshore wind from Empire 1 and 2 coming, you know, into the Zone J area. So that's just, you know, those both represent you know, meaningful pathways of getting more, you know, uh, electrons into the load pockets. And in addition to that, you know, it, it, just echoing what Patrick said, like Nine Dot recognizes that constraint and there's going to be certain times of of the year or, you know, or seasons, you know, winter and both summer where we're going to have peaks and, and NINDOT really wants to help, you know, provide embedded solutions kind of in communities that can help, you know, with those, those uh, you know, surges and in, in capacity needs. So, so I, you know, I don't see that, you know, there's a collapse or you know, in, in kind of uh, the stability of the NISO grid, we, the Indian point, you know, power plant came off and, and we're doing fine. Maybe we're running uh, gas peakers a little bit more than we want to. But hope you know with the increase of that transmission line, offshore wind, and more projects like Nine Dot and our peers are doing for building storage downstate. Um, you know we're we're kind of hopeful that we can kind of you know retire those traditional generators. You know as as New York State has uh, has planned. So, All right, awesome. Yeah, I think that, on the pathway. Yeah, I think that is a uh, 
a good place to leave it. Um, I really appreciate your guys' time and uh, expertise on this and your analysis. And uh, I think uh, the state is aiming for uh, kind of moving ahead with some sort of decision on the roadmap by, you know, later this year. So I'm sure we'll be in touch again. But um, yeah, thank you both again for uh, for joining us. Very well, Colt. Thanks so much for having us on. This was a lot of fun. Yep. Thanks, Colt. Thanks, Patrick. Always fun to talk. Thanks, John.